All right, well, it is going to be a great day when we get up to heaven and see Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> I did get a call yesterday afternoon from Pastor Andrew and uh, saying he had lost a filling out of a tooth. And he was in a lot of pain. And I don't know if you've ever had a toothache. We probably all have it one time or another, and that is extremely painful. And uh, he just wasn't able to go. His backup, Pastor Josiah, was quarantined. So I'm the bottom of the barrel. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I guess Chuck could have filled in as well. But uh, anyway, I thought, you know, with all that we've been through in this world, we need to, we need to have some encouragement. And so I thought I would preach about heaven today. In July 20th, 2008, the TV show Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, aired. It's one of its most moving stories. It was about a soldier named Michael Lucas who had just begun to lay the foundation on his home in Rice, Virginia, when he was called to serve in Iraq, leaving behind his wife, Jean, and their two sons, Michael, who was 12 at the time, and Joseph, who was 7. So Ty and his team went in, to build the house. And you all know, if you watch that, that show, it was a, a really great show. And uh, you know how they, they get the family on the other side of the bus, and they all yell, move that bus? Well, when they yelled, move that bus, they had somehow made arrangements to bring Michael home from the war. And daddy and father and husband came out that door. And, I, and of course, that was totally unexpected. And uh, I, don't, I don't get teary very much. But I'll tell you what, that got to me. And uh, it was one of the most moving things I think I've ever seen on TV. I love reunions. Um, I love to see people I haven't seen before. I love the kind of reunion that was there on TV. But uh, I didn't always think reunions were all that great. In fact, I remember as a boy, in fact, I don't even know if they do family reunions very much anymore. But uh, my mom and dad were big into going to, to reunions. And so us kids had to tag along. And I remember going to the Chapin reunion. That was my mother's maiden name. And uh, there would be 200-plus people gathered in the little town park. And uh, it, it was boring. I could not for the life of me understand. I didn't know anybody there. And as a kid, you know... And, I could go into some detail about that reunion, but I won't. But it, it was not a, a fun thing for me. And I couldn't understand why mom and dad just, they always looked forward to it. They were all up and excited. They'd go up and visit all the various people they hadn't seen before. But as I've gotten older, I do enjoy uh, seeing people I haven't seen before. And I think it's kind of exciting. I remember at my 50th high school class reunion, um, I saw classmates I hadn't seen since we graduated from high school, and I could not get over how old they all looked. <laughs> well, this morning I want to talk about a reunion. Actually, I want us to focus on the reunion of all reunions. Of course, I'm talking about that, that heavenly reunion. I guarantee you it won't be boring. In fact, as we sing about it and we think about being there in heaven, I get all excited. And at this stage of my life, I'm, I'm looking uh, so much forward to seeing Jesus. 
Uh, and that could happen any moment. Any moment. While we're sitting here, the heaven could open and we hear that shout, come up here. And up we go. So this morning I'd like to answer three questions about that heavenly reunion. First of all, what will make that heavenly reunion so special? Well, it'll be special because of who we'll, we will see. Obviously, the first one I'm going to mention, that we'll be able to see Jesus. And uh, Dave quoted that passage in John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It just blows my mind that the Lord Jesus, he went through all that he went through on the cross so that we could be where he is. And he's promised to come back and get us. In fact, you remember in his high priestly prayer uh, in uh, John 17, Jesus is praying for us, those that will believe, though we have not uh, seen him. And part of that prayer in verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Listen to this. This is why he wants us there. That they may behold my glory to which you have given me, for you love me before the foundations of the world. There's something about the glory of the Lord that um, we, we use that phrase. We think, well, we're going to see the Lord in all of his glory. We don't have a clue, people, what that's going to be like. But it, it must be spectacular. It's going to be the most beautiful scene you've ever seen, the most beautiful colors you've ever seen, the most spectacular scene. And we talked about the men angels. That's the tip of the iceberg bowing down before the Lord. All over the creation, everything bowing down and giving praise to the Lord. For all that he is. What a scene that's going to be. And you and I are going to be part of that. And he says, I want them to see my glory. Me and all my glory. What a beautiful scene that's going to be. But we're also going to see the saved loved ones that have gone on before. One of the great texts on this is 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. And beginning in verse 13. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We have all lost loved ones. Some of you have lost loved ones recently. I, as a pastor, now being in the ministry over 50 years, one of the more difficult things in fact, I think the most difficult thing I ever had to do was deal with someone who lost a child. Some of you have had to go through that. And uh, that person was a believer. They're, they're in heaven. 
and you're going to be reunited with them. What a reunion. Uh, my mom and dad are there. My sister's there. And when, when the rapture takes place, one of the great things is not only seeing Jesus, but we're going to see all our saved loved ones up in heaven. And there's, and there's never going to be a time when we uh, have to say goodbye. You know, grandpa, grandma, our spouses perhaps, moms and dads, what a, what a reunion that's going to be. You know, when a person who knows the Lord dies, the house they lived in, that body is laid in the grave, but their spirit and soul goes immediately into the presence of Jesus where they rest in Jesus, the Bible says. At the rapture, the Bible says Jesus brings with him those souls and spirits. They are put in back into that resurrected, recreated body and taken up to heaven. But I want you to notice a couple of words in verse 17 that are special. Because if that should happen today, for instance, while we're seated here, and there's a mass disappearing of people, and you're left behind, by the way, that's not good. That's not good. You want to be sure you're going up when that time comes, because if you're left behind, you're going to hell. It's just that, that simple. But I want you to see these two words. Those of us who are caught up, it says we're caught up together with them. Those two words tells me, tell me that there is a reunion with saved loved ones in glory. It's a promise from God. So it'll be special because of who we will see. It's also special because of what will not be there. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more temptation. No more child abuse. No more terrorists. No more lies. No more deceptions. No more bad stuff. No more crime. No more sickness or pain. No more COVID or talk about it. <laughs> I think we're all, we're all tired of it, but it is, it is what it is. Revelation 21 4 says, And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All the bad stuff down here, it's all gone. All of it's going to be good stuff. Don't have to worry about anything else. We're going to be in heaven, folks, and it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. It will also be special because of what will be new. We're going to have a new home. When uh, Nancy and I found the house that we presently live in, we, we consider it a gift to God. We never dreamed we were going to live in such a wonderful, wonderful home. Now, it's not, it's not a mansion, but to us it is. And we're just thankful to God for what he has provided. But I tell you what, I don't know what you're living in, whether it's a nice home or it's a shack. doesn't matter because in heaven you're going to have a new home. It talks about that new home in Revelation 21 and verse 9 and following. It says, Then one of the angels, seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now that's the church. You understand that. Then he's going to show you that new Jerusalem. Talk about that. Verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. We're going to be in that city. That's why he's talking about it being the bride. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. 
and 12 angels at the gates, the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So there's not one gate at that city, there's 12. And it's that St. Peter at the gate, it's the angels. So we just got to set that record straight. Also, she had, had a great and high wall with 12 gates and a fourth. Uh, and the 12 angels at the gates, the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall had the city had 12 foundations or pillars. Uh, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb because the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so that city has their names on those foundations. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length as great as its breadth. So it's really a cube. He measured the city with a reed 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So it could be a cube, or it could be a pyramid. Uh, I suppose um, all of those have three different, uh, three dimensions. But uh, 12,000 uh, furlongs, how far is that? Roughly between 1,400 and 1,500 miles. That's like from New York City to Denver and then cubed. So it's going to be huge. Don't worry, there's plenty of room for everybody. God's got it all planned. Got it all worked out. No problem. But then go on and read. It says, um, he measured its wall, 144 cubits. That's about 217 feet high. What? Not to keep people out, it's for decorative purposes. Uh, the construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold and like clear glass. Not just the street, but the city itself. The walls were of jasper, and the foundations had 12 different kinds of gems. So here's, here's what I'm trying to describe to you. If you've got, God is the light of that city, brilliant beyond the sun. You can't, you can't look at the sun. God's going to give us a body that's going to be capable of being around God and not being consumed. So that light is going to be in that city. What does light do with any kind of gem? It, it refracts. And so you got white walls. And so you got this light coming through all these jewels. That's all these various colors bouncing off the walls. I'm trying to use my sanctified imagination to try to imagine. And, and, and we, we can only imagine, as the song says. We can't even, can't even fathom what it's going to be like. Just suffice it to say, it's going to be cool. It's going to be awesome. More beautiful than anything you've ever ever known and ever seen, and you're going there, and you're going to live there. And I'll just interject this. You got somebody in this church you can't get along with, they're going to be your neighbor, I guarantee it. <laughs> That's just like God to do that. He's going to put you right next to him. I hope, I hope you get along with everybody. <laughs> you're going to get along with people in heaven. Oh, man. Going to have a new, going to have a new home, but we're also going to have a new body. This is, this is really cool. Look at Philippians chapter 3. And I know that some of you uh, who wake up with uh, certain pains and aches, listen to this. Verse, uh, chapter, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven. See, we're not, we're not, we're citizens, yes, down here, but as far as God is concerned, heaven's really our home. We're just, we're just passing through down here from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, who will transform our lowly body. 
That's the body with weaknesses and pains and suffering and doesn't do what we want it to do. That it may be conformed to his glorious or glorified body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So, uh, another passage of scripture says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when we see him, we will be like him. All right, so what was the body of Jesus like after his resurrection when he had his glorified body? Some, just a few unique things. First of all, I remember when he appeared to his disciples and they saw, in Luke 24 and they saw, thought they were seeing a ghost. They, he says, handle me. You can touch. So it's a body that is a real body. It's not just a immaterial spirit. So it could be handled or touched. But then he, he, they were still freaking out. So he says, uh, give me some food here. So he ate a piece of fish and honeycomb. We're going to be able to eat in heaven. That's cool. All right. I'm not sure if the only food is fish and and honeycomb, but at least we're going to be able to eat in heaven. There's going to be fruit trees, by the way, too, it talks about. And uh, leaves for the healing of the nations, it talks about, which is mysterious to me. Maybe it just has to do with health. But then uh, what else was there significant about that body? Um, you remember that this happened twice. When he appeared to his disciples and they were in the upper room. And on the first Sunday night, after his resurrection, and they were all gathered there. They, they couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. And it says that he appeared to them. But it makes a big deal about, it says, the doors being shut. Why does it say that? The Bible doesn't, doesn't say things without having significance. In fact, it says, that, again, that a week later, when Thomas was present that time, he, did it, he appeared to him again, and it says, the doors being shut. What that is saying is that Jesus' body was unlike any body that we know today. He could go right through a solid wall and appear in the room without having to go through the door, without opening the door, and not knocking the wall down. So it's something beyond us. Now, why is that significant? Here's why this is, is significant, because at the rapture, if we're sitting here or in our car or whatever, we don't have to worry about getting through the roof. Isn't that cool? God put that in there to comfort us. We're not going to make a hole. We're just going, he's going to transform us and beam us up, and we're out of here. And we, and we won't get a headache or anything going through the roof. That's cool. I think that's a neat thing. And there's one other little detail I think is, is kind of cool about that resurrected body that is helpful to us. Now, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he shed all of his blood. He poured it out. And so there's a couple of passages in Scripture where it says, in fact, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, it, it talks about the, the resurrection a little bit there. Maybe we ought to turn to that. I think it's around verse 50 or 51, and um, it says, this I say, brethren, that, verse 50, it says, now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. The, 
when a person, and I know this is a little gross, but the, that which corrupts the body, helps it decay and destroy, is actually the blood in that body. So our new body will not be a body that will have blood in it. It's very interesting when Jesus was in that, talking to his disciples, and they were freaking out, thinking they were seeing a ghost. He says, handle me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bone as you see me have. He did not say flesh and blood. So Jesus' glorified body, I believe, did not have flesh and blood. It had flesh and bone of some kind and some kind of structure that could, again, go through a wall and not mess it up. So um, why is that significant? Because if, you, if you're in 1 Corinthians 15, you go over maybe a little bit that, that same page. It talks about that new body. In verse 44, it says, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. If the blood, which is our life source now in this lowly body, is not going to be in our body. What will be the life force keeping us all alive in that glorified body? It's going to be the Spirit. God's Spirit, which is now in us, will be our actual life source. And so that thread that does connect us all now will be enhanced to the point where it will be our life source Literally. And I think that's cool. I, I, I get excited about it. I hope you do. One final little detail by what makes us so special. And that'll be, th this, this reunion will never end. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, it says, And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're never, ever going to be somewhere apart from the Lord. We're always going to be wherever he is. That, to me, is super good, cool. Now, my dad lived in the UP with my brother, and he lived to be almost 102. And I would go up uh, once a year to, to visit him. And uh, I always looked forward to it, of course. But I didn't look forward to having to say goodbye. Because every time I said goodbye, I'm thinking in my mind, I probably won't see him again. Well, we won't have to say goodbye in heaven. We're going to be, we're going to be there forever. And uh, I've often thought, well, what are we going to do in heaven? Isn't that going to be boring? Eh. Nah, it won't be boring. Just think about this. Uh, on, the, on the bulletin board, it says, uh, tonight... Uh, we're going to have a Bible class with Jesus as our teacher. And you can ask questions. Whoa. And I'm thinking, you know, if, if, all, if all that happens down here is caught, you know, in light, it's up there in space somewhere, Jesus, we could actually, actually see the Red Sea part and see Israel cross over. Now, I'm using my sanctified imagination here, okay? We can could, we could see those, the fire come down when Elijah prayed and, and, and just lap up all the water, you might be able to see the crucifixion. 
Jesus dying on the cross for us. Maybe, maybe we'll take tours of the various stars and the heavenly bodies. I don't know. I do know one thing. There's going to be some singing up in heaven. And there's going to be some worship time. This, this was awesome, by the way. Uh, Dave, you did, you did such a great job. I love that last song. Just takes me right up there, almost to heaven. But, you know, can you imagine with Jesus in front of you? All the praise, all the glory goes to Jesus. And we're singing. And I know a couple of you have a rough time carrying a tune. <laughs> Won't be a problem in heaven. We're all going to be in perfect harmony. All the voices, the heavenly choir. Oh, man. And I'll just, I'll just throw this in. You know, I don't get to preach much, so I'm just tossing a bunch of stuff in. Do you know that Jesus is going to sing a solo to you? Did you know that? Hebrews chapter 2, you check it out. It's around about verse 14. And 13, 14, right in there somewhere. And it's a quote from the Old Testament. And he's going to sing a song to the bride. Can you imagine? Now, Dave, you got a great voice, but I'm afraid you can't come close to the voice of Jesus. The, hearing him sing a solo, and I'm thinking, what kind of a voice does he have? Well, it describes it as thunder and a lot of big waterfalls there in Revelation chapter 1. Whew. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go. It's going to be some special, special reunion. Well, I'm going to ask her a second question. I'll try to get moving here a little bit because I, I got bogged down a little bit. When will it happen? Hang on. Setting dates is not wise. We're not going to do that. That's how cults got started. The Jehovah's Witnesses, got started. Ellen G. White set dates at their beginnings. Uh, more recently, a California preacher named Harold Camping predicted that the rapture would occur on May 21st in 2011. Then he changed his date, of course, when that didn't happen, to October 21st. And also prior to that, he had said it was going to happen in 1994. He finally apologized and said, I guess I don't know when it's going to happen. <laughs> but it's very clear that God, God's the only one that knows. Matthew 24, 36 says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And when the disciples asked about it in Acts one, Jesus said, Lord, or they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. We do know it will be sudden. Now we talk about the rapture. It will be sudden. It'll be like a thief in the night. Did you expect Jesus to come today? Many people, many believers are in church. They don't, they aren't expecting Jesus to come today. Well, why is it like a thief? Well, it's because you don't know when the thief's coming. It's unexpected. He comes at an unexpected time. The church won't be looking for him probably for the most part. It'll be in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, meaning you won't have to, it won't be like we're slowly going up. It's just, we're up. The next thing we see, you may be looking at me right now, but the next thing you'll be looking at is Jesus. Seeing his eyes. 
It's overwhelming to me. God does give us, he does not have any time, uh, anything that points to the rapture, actually. There are signs of his coming kingdom. And so I want you to just think with me about some things. Turn with me back to Ezekiel chapter 38. Because the Bible does talk about some things that are going to happen prior to his coming as king. Look at Ezekiel 38, because I want you to see some nations that are going to be aligned together that are going to make an attack on Israel. Ezekiel 38, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now, we just pause, and without going into too much detail here, I don't know of any Bible scholar that does not believe that that's Russia. These, these people settled in that area. It's also going to mention the farthest parts of the north, north of Israel, of course. Verse 3, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers, shields, all of them handling swords. Now notice the nations that come with the, the Russian hordes of the north, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togomer from the far north, and all its troops, many people are with you. Now, who is Persia? Well, I think you know that that's Iran. Is Iran allied with Russia today? What about... Uh, the Hebrew word is, is Cush, and that's translated Ethiopia, but it also includes um, uh, Sudan. So Cush is Ethiopia and Sudan. Libya is, is the Hebrew word put. And then Gomer and Togomer is modern Turkey. Turkey has just, as you know, been moving and uh, has moved in the direction of the other nations and is now allied with Russia. What I'm saying is, we are seeing this today. Right now where we live, these nations are allied with Russia. Now the attack will happen. Let's go on. Uh, it says, verse 7, God says he's going to bring these peoples down. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. Now notice this, in the latter years... That's the last days. You will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. The Jews have regathered from all over the world and are back in their land today. What I'm saying is the scene is set for this to happen. We're living in that day. That's why I believe the rapture could occur at any moment because the world stage is set. Uh, verse 13, there's other things we could say that no one's going to have the power to stop them, but God will stop them. Chapter 39, if you read that chapter, God's going to wipe them all out. But the interesting part is in verse 9 of chapter 39, they're going to be cleaning the mess up and it's going to take seven years to do it. 
Um, I, I, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. I personally believe it's going to happen somewhere around the first part of the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period in Bible prophecy, you know. And I don't have time to go through, explain all that, but if you want to, uh, I can certainly help you with that. So that, that to me points to the fact that we're living in the last days because the world scene is ready. But let me point to just a couple more. Luke Luke's gospel, chapter 17, is, is also going to describe the last days. And Jesus is talking. He's going to say, first of all, in chapter 17, verse 26, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Then it's going to say in verse 28, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, drank, bought and sold, planted and built. On that day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone. Even so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's when he comes as his king and kingdom. What were the days of Lot known for? What was the city they lived in? It was the city of Sodom, from which we get the word sodomy, which is homosexuality. If you read the story, it's all about that. And it was open, it was rampant, it was militant. And we have that kind of thing going on today. That stage, Jesus said it's going to be like the days of Lot. Are we living in the days of Lot? We're in that day. Go with me to Revelation chapter 13. I want you just to see a couple more things here. Revelation chapter 13 and verses 17 and 18. That no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, number 666. Basically, the world ruler, the Antichrist, is going to be able to control the world economy. We're going to have a, a world leader that's going to come during the tribulation that's going to be able to control the world, and he's going to be able to do it with a mark. I think one of the things that COVID has taught us is that there are few people that can actually control a lot of things in a short period of time. And now with the means of computer and computer chips, and I don't know how this mark's going to work, and I'm not saying it's a computer chip, I don't know. But I do know that if, if the economy of the whole world were to fail, money would be no good. And someone you couldn't buy or sell without being identified as belonging to the Antichrist you're going to have some kind of mark that's going to control the economy. You're not going to be able to buy or sell without that mark if you're in the tribulation period. By the way, I personally believe that the rapture is going to occur prior to the tribulation. And I've written articles about that. And I can, I can prove that to you from the scriptures. I know there's people that would disagree with me. Uh, one more thing. Uh, during the tribulation, the whole world will see the two witnesses rise from the dead. Now, again, we don't have time to go through. I believe it's Moses and Elijah. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 9. These are the two witnesses that, that actually win the 144,000 to the Lord during the first half of the tribulation. During the middle of that tribulation, they're going to be slain or killed by the Antichrist. Verse 9 of those. Uh, and it says, verse 8, their dead bodies will be in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. So that's Jerusalem. They're going to be slain in the city of Jerusalem, and their dead bodies are going to lay there, and the whole world is going to rejoice over it. Look at verse 9. 
then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies. How can the whole world see something in Jerusalem in real time? We now have satellite television. We can see what's going on. We didn't have that before. What I'm saying, people, listen, get ready. Get, your, get that spring in your step. We're going up. It's getting close. And I hope you're ready to meet the Lord. Because time is running out. That leads me to my third and final question. Who can attend this heavenly reunion? I'm going to give you the bad news before I give you the good news. The bad news is those who believe they are good enough for heaven aren't going to go. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. What's that saying? It's great that you're here today, but coming to church isn't going to get you to heaven. It's great to be a church member. It's great to do all kinds of wonderful spiritual things, but that's not what's going to get you to heaven. In fact, Matthew, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why? Because they were depending on those spiritual activities to get them into heaven. And you think, well, that's, that's not me. Well, let me, uh, let me just burst your bubble a little bit. Look at Revelation 21.8. See if you find yourself on this list. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, and idolaters. And you say, no, not me. Wait a minute. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Anybody in here not told a lie? ever saw a hand go up, I would say, well, that's the biggest liar in here. <laughs> so wait a minute. What's this saying? Everybody's going to hell? Well, I'm going to give you the good news. God, in his grace, before the world began, had a plan. That plan included you but it also included his son. He knew that man would sin and would fall short and that not one person on the whole earth that would be born would deserve to go to heaven. So God had a plan, and that plan meant that his own son, God the son, God in the flesh, would become a man, born of a virgin Mary, supernaturally, Grow to manhood, never sinning because he was God, but also being fully man. He could go to the cross and he could represent all of humankind so that God the Father could pour out all the hell that you and I deserved on his own son. Like a hot volcanic mountain that has erupted that hot lava was headed for you and in steps between you and that hot lava, the Son of God, and takes it all upon himself. 
The process gives his own life for you so you could enjoy heaven forever. Praise God. He made it so simple, people. For us, not for his son. So that in 1 Corinthians 6, it gives another list of chapter and verses 9 through 11. And it lists those who are not going to go to heaven. But then it says in verse 11, and such were some of you. You see, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you accept the provision of God, God no longer considers you to be that liar or that sinner. He considers you to be a son, and he has taken all the righteousness of his son. He's applied it to your account. He's blocked out all that black sin. He now sees you as pure and righteous and fit for heaven because of the grace of our God. I'm getting to be a Baptocostal. Tell you what, if that doesn't make you want to shout and spring and jump, something's wrong with you. Whoa, that's great. So how do you get this salvation? God made it possible. He provided it. Well, first of all, you do have to believe what I just said. You have to believe the facts. John 1, 12, Jesus says, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gives the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. So you believe that Jesus was sent from heaven, he was God, he never sinned, and he died on the cross for your sins. Well, the devil believes that, and he's not going to heaven. So what else? Well, the type of faith that the Bible talks about has, involves commitment. It involves committing your heart, where you trust in him. It's like when you, you trust the chair, to, you sat in that chair, you believed that chair was going to hold you up. You looked at the chair, and I know this didn't go through your head, you didn't even think about it, but you, it, technically, you looked at the chair and said, that looks like a solid chair. I think I'll sit down in it. When you sat down, you committed your weight to the chair. That's saving faith. You can look at the chair and say, that's a good chair. That chair does you no good unless you sit in it. You see what I'm saying? Saving faith is when you commit your heart to Jesus and you're, you trust him completely with your future because you take him at his word. There was a man, a famous tightrope walker named Blondin. He was uh, famous around the latter 1800s, first of the 1900s. And he advertised he was going to walk across the Niagara Falls. You've probably heard some of you have heard this story. And um, so the crowds lined up both on the Canadian side, American side, and that rope has crossed the falls. If you've ever been there, I would say the guy was out of his ever-loving mind. But he did that. Make a long story short, yes, he walked across. He gets across, the crowd goes nuts. And then he says, and a shocking thing, he says, now how many believe I can wheel a wheelbarrow back across the other way? And they, yeah, we believe you can do it. He says, okay, get me a wheelbarrow. They got him a wheelbarrow, he gets the wheel up on there, and he gets up on there. And he says, uh, turns to this one young man, he says, do you believe I can wheel this wheelbarrow back across the other way? Yes, Mr. Blondin, I believe you can do it. He says, okay, get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> There's a difference between head faith and heart faith. He wasn't willing to commit. Oh, my friends, if you're a saved person, I know you've been through a lot, but Jesus is coming soon. Help's coming soon. You're going to get out of here. 
And we're going to be having the kingdom come. And I've been praying every day, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, but my friend, if you're here and you don't know whether you're ready to meet Jesus, you don't know for sure if you're going to go to heaven, oh, don't leave this place until you get that settled. We can help you with that. We can help you with that. Jesus is here. He wants you just to talk to him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do it before we leave this place. Lord, what an awesome God you are. You did it all for us. We're looking forward to meeting you someday. Until that time, help us to be about your business, being faithful to you and telling others about this great, great news. While everyone's head is still bowed and your eyes are still closed, I want you to do business with God. If you're a believer, you need to maybe tell him you're sorry you haven't been thinking more about his coming. Or maybe there's someone you need to talk to about Jesus because you may not have another opportunity tomorrow. Maybe you're here today and you're not ready to meet Jesus because you've not put your trust in him. Say, Pastor Jones, that's, that's me. I do not want you to leave without getting that help you need. And you say, I, I need that help. And would you at least pray for me?